Thanks for being here. Grab your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 1. Last week we started the book of 1 John, and we will come to it most Sundays between now and Christmas. And right before Christmas, we will, we will finish it. 1 John chapter 1. A little review, if you weren't here last week, so that we're kind of all on the same page as we dive in this morning. The first John is written by the disciple John, whom Jesus loved. Jesus loved all of his disciples, but John took it very personally, and that's how he refers to himself in his gospel, the gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, John was Jesus' disciple for a few years after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, John was a uh, pastor and leader of the New Testament church there in Jerusalem for 40 years. He was one of the pastors of this church. After about 40 years, uh, the Roman Empire began, began to lay a lot of pressure on Jerusalem because some of the Israelites had begun to rebel against the, Roman, uh, the Romans because they were tired of living under their tyranny. And so there was like a three or four year rebellion uh, that the Israelites had against the Romans. And at that time, Rome started pushing, putting tremendous pressure on Jerusalem. And eventually, in AD 70, just came in with their army and just leveled the whole city. In fact, if you get on an airplane here in Houston, you fly to Tel Aviv, you get off of your uh, plane in Tel Aviv, drive about 30, 45 hour uh, into Jerusalem, you can go and see the ruins that are still there that the Romans left of Jerusalem. So John leaves Jerusalem at this time, as did many Christians and as did many Jewish people. Um, and he ends up in Ephesus. Now the Apostle Paul was really the father of the church of Ephesus, uh, but Paul has kind of moved on at this point, And John comes in and essentially becomes the pastor, not just of this one church, but of the churches of that entire region. And it's in this window of about 20 or 30 years uh, that John uh, writes the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Eventually, another persecution happens uh, specifically targeted at Christians by the emperor uh, Domitian. And uh, John is arrested and sentenced into prison. But instead of like a prison cell, they put him on an island, the island of Patmos. That's where he receives on a Sunday, just like today, he receives the vision of Revelation, which we know is the last book in the Bible. He's eventually allowed to leave and he dies peacefully, uh, the only disciple to die, die peacefully in Ephesus. And so that's the context of when 1 John was written. If you take it home today and you uh, get home and after your customary uh, Sunday afternoon nap, because God requires two things of you, uh, to go to church on Sunday and then take a nap. That's just a rule. And uh, so you hopefully get your nap today and you go, hey, I want to read what 1 John is all about. You start in verse 1 of chapter 1. It will take you about 10 or 15 minutes, depending on where you went to school. I went to school in Missouri, so it's going to be a little bit longer for me. Um, uh, it, it'll only take you 15 minutes minutes to read this entire book. And as you read it, you will take your pen and you will underline a lot because there's so much good stuff in it. You will get to the end of that reading and you'll go, now, what was that what was that letter about? What was that book of the Bible about? Because John does not write his gospel or first John in linear fashion. 
Um, you know, these people that when you, you're having a conversation with them, they like to jump topics. And so you'll be talking about one thing and then all of a sudden they bring up this other thing and then they bring up another thing and then they somehow parlay that back into the original thing that you're talking about. Some of us do that. Uh, it bothers the rest of us because we are linear thinking people. We move in orderly fashion. And if you are one of those linear thinking uh, persons, then you probably gravitate towards the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and and Luke. Those are called the synoptic gospels because they give a synopsis of Jesus's life. They start in the beginning when Jesus was born and they end when he ascends up into heaven and they move in an orderly fashion through that timeline. But you get to the gospel of John and he's putting things that Jesus said at the end in the beginning. He's putting things that happened to Jesus at the end of his life right in the beginning. He doesn't give any consideration to time because he's not a linear thinking person. If you are a linear thinking person, you will gravitate towards the letters of the apostle Paul because he writes his letters in an orderly fashion. You can follow his arguments and he's building his arguments as the letter moves through. You can tell when he's moved on to another topic. Uh, it's harder to do that with John's gospel and with first John. Thankfully, John knew what kind of person he was and he tells us exactly why he wrote this letter. He, he says there are four reasons why he's writing this letter and I want to show them to you. Uh, these won't be up on the screen, but you can follow along with me on First John. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, that's yours, that you can call your own, there's a bunch out in the lobby. We would love for you to grab one of those as you leave today. First John chapter 1, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. First uh, uh, John chapter 2 verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So I say I'm writing these things to you because some people have come in and they're teaching you false things. First uh, John chapter 5 verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So these are his four reasons for writing this letter. And as we approach Christmas, after we've taken this book of the Bible apart and hopefully put it back together, we will know if we have done a good job based on these four things. If at the end of our time of study in this book, you have more joy, we've accomplished our goal. If at the end of this book, when we've spent our time together, you sin less, then we have accomplished our goal. If at the end of this season, we are more ably equipped to determine what is true and what is false in this world, we've accomplished our goal. And if at the end of this semester, as we come into Christmas, you can say with confidence, I know, not just that I think, but I know that I have eternal life, then we will have accomplished the purposes for which John has written this letter. And it's that second one that we're after today. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Meaning, this is what I heard from Jesus. And now I'm telling you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So even just a very quick read lets us know what this little section is about. It's about light and darkness. Now when we talk about darkness, I'm going to be really honest This is uh, not a message that I love to bring because it is a searching message. Have you ever gotten a letter from the IRS? Uh, Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to be embarrassed. But uh, I have. Uh, Somebody tried to steal Amanda's identity. And and so we would get this letter after every tax season. We had done all the things that we needed to do. And we would get this letter from the IRS. And as soon as it comes in your mailbox, you can tell the letters that have something to say to you and the ones that have the check in it. The ones that have the check in it, are they're beautiful. They make us happy. But the ones that don't have the check in it, it, you just get this pit in your stomach. It doesn't even matter if they're just saying, thank you so much for paying your taxes. You are an upstanding citizen. It would still give you a pit in your stomach when you saw that you had a letter from the IRS because you don't want people searching through your things. And unfortunately, that's exactly what's going to happen today because we're talking about light and darkness. And listen, all of us have darkness inside of us. And when the light comes, the light is comforting when we are in the light, but it's, it's scary and it feels pervasive and it feels sensitive when we have things to hide. And, and I'm afraid that that's how many of us are going to feel at different points in this message because we're talking about light and darkness. And as we talk about darkness, I'm going to be real honest. We're not talking about you drop something on your foot and, and something came out of your mouth that you weren't super proud of. We're talking about what is it that is in you that when you drop that on your foot, that came out of you. We're not talking about Um, sometimes the shows that we like on TV aren't necessarily ones that we would brag about at church. We're talking about what is it in us that causes us to keep going back to those things even though we know they're not what we should be doing. We're we're not talking about... uh, I I had a conversation and I I think it accidentally veered into kind of being two-faced and and being a little bit of gossip. We're not talking about the action of that. We're talking about what is it in us that that makes us want to do that all the time. We're not talking about just the action today. We're not talking about the fruit today. We're talking about what is it in us. I love the story in the, the Old Testament of, of Achan. It's, it's a story that we don't really want to emulate, but it's a very important story. God has sent the Israelites uh, into the land of promise. You know, you, you remember in the book of Exodus, he delivers them. They literally exit out of I- Egypt as slaves and they get in the wilderness. God only wanted them to be there a short time, but their disobedience over and over and over again uh, made them stay in the wilderness longer. There was just a consequence and judgment for their uh, disobedience. And so eventually, after 40 years, they're allowed to go into the land of promise. And God has said, I got this land for you. It's land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's fresh, it's good, it's alive, it's everything that the wilderness is not. And when you get in there, there are people already living in there, but I am with you and those people are going to flee and they are going to leave and you're going to have this land all to yourself. And that's exactly what happens. The first stop is Jericho and Jericho is a fortified city. I mean, it is well fortified. It's got these huge walls, powerful army, and the Israelites don't even have to, to lift one weapon because God is with them. You remember, they just shout and they just play their instruments and the walls, the fortifications of the city of Jericho fall down. Well, then they move on to the next town. It's the town of A. 
AI, literally the letter A and I, AI. And they get there and they're like, we don't have anything to worry about because they send spies in, the spies come back and the spies say, don't even bother sending like the entire army. This people in AI, they are few. Uh, Their fortifications are not near as strong and God is with us. This is going to be no problem. Well, they, they go and they lose. And, and they lose decisively. So Joshua, the commander of God's people, he comes to God and he's like, what is going on? What happened? And God said, there, there's something hidden among the Israelites. See, God had said as they moved through these towns, they were not supposed to take the spoils of those victories for themselves. All those spoils, all the gold and all the silver from these towns was to go into the house of God. But there was somebody who kept some for themselves. So Joshua begins to do roll call in Joshua chapter 7. Can you imagine the whole of the people coming together and you know that you're the one who has the secret? Now, most of us would say, hey, just go and just confess it. Just let it out. Bad stuff's going to happen to you, whether later or sooner. Just go and confess it. It's me. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Don't put all these people through it. But that's not what any of us would do. No, we would hope that we were the very last person and they would get tired of the roll call and uh, just be like, forget it. And we would get away with it. And that's exactly what this guy Aiken does. And so it's roll call, clan after clan, family after family. And finally they get to Aiken's family and they're like, Aiken, Aiken comes forward and he's like, I did it. I stole the gold and I stole the silver and I buried it in my tent. I buried it there. And here's why we want to fight darkness with the light today. Because that darkness, not just like the oops, I said that and oops, I did that, but that darkness in us, it's keeping you from what God has promised you. As you read the scripture, you ever have this happen? You read the scripture and like, why doesn't that stuff happen to me? Why when I pray, does it not seem like when Paul prayed? Why when I share the gospel, does it not seem like the way that they share the gospel? Why does it seem like these people in the scripture have this very close and personal fellowship with God that I do not have? Well, God wants to give you that kind of momentum, but the darkness hidden inside our tents prevents us from obtaining all that God has promised us. So there's going to be some moments this morning when it's going to be easier when that conviction comes to your mind and heart like, oh yeah, that really is dark. You're going to want to push that aside and deal with it later. And by deal with it later, I mean for myself, deal with it never. And here's why we should just go ahead and deal with it because a better life, a preferable future for you is on the other side of that darkness. It is going to be uncomfortable to deal with. It is going to be uncomfortable to kind of put it out in the light for us to see in the full light of day. It is going to be a hassle and it is going to be uncomfortable, but there is a preferable future for you on the other side. One with that momentum in your relationship with God and fellowship with God that you see in the scripture. So a couple of things in 1 John that I think will help us um, pull it apart and put it back together If you're going to write something down, this is what I'd love for you to write down. Number one, darkness affects our fellowship with God. Darkness affects our fellowship with God. It says, this is the message we have heard from him. You remember, John heard it directly from Jesus. He was an eyewitness. And we proclaim it to you 
that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So darkness affects our fellowship with God. Now I want to make a distinction. We're using the word fellowship instead of relationship. Because your relationship with God, if you are in Christ, meaning if you have believed in Jesus and have eternal life in Jesus, your relationship with God cannot be affected by your sin. Because it's how you're related to God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Uh, You are loved and you are chosen. Those things cannot be affected by our sin. What can be affected is our fellowship. Our uh, ongoing day-to-day interaction can be affected by our sin. So our fellowship is what affected when we have uh, is affected when we have uh, darkness. And it says in verse 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. What it's saying is just a little equation for us this morning. God is light. We have relationship with him. We have fellowship with him. Therefore, you must walk in the light. What equation does not make sense is God is light, I have fellowship with him, and I, I walk in the darkness. That, that doesn't go together. Now, it's important that we start, as we talk about darkness and light, that we start with God, which is exactly what John does here. God is light, and in him is, is no darkness, because God is our standard for what is light and what is darkness. It's very easy for us to begin to compare ourselves when we start feeling the conviction of the Spirit of God kind of shining a light on some of those dark areas. We immediately begin to compare ourselves with somebody else that we know, don't we? Well, you know, my darkness is not as dark as that guy's darkness. In fact, my darkness looks like a very romantic dusk compared to, to that guy's darkness. It's very easy for us to, to compare But we always lose the comparison. You either lose immediately because when you go to compare your darkness to their darkness, you really are darker and you don't measure up. Or we lose later on because we win the comparison. Their darkness does seem to be darker than yours. They are less godly than you. They are practicing less righteousness than you are practicing. But you lose on the back end because that ends up making us self-righteous. And here's what happened when we move to compare Instead of letting God be the standard of what is light and what is dark, when we move to compare ourselves to, to someone else, uh, what happens when we do that is we stop seeking God and we just start to seek being good enough. Well, it doesn't matter that I'm not measuring up to God's standard because I'm good enough compared to this other person. About a year ago, our team of pastors, we did some personality profiles and uh, strength finders. You've maybe heard of these things, maybe done them at work. Essentially, they're to help you understand yourself better and help you understand everybody else better so you work more efficiently. And mostly what it does is it just causes you to start psychoanalyzing yourself and other people. It ends up being a bad thing. And, uh, but we did it, and so we took all these tests and and uh, so we were there with a professional, and he's kind of working uh, his way through our team with our strengths. And so, uh, you know, somebody on our team had a strength of belief. I mean, doesn't that sound amazing? Like, what are you good at? I'm, I'm good at believing. And, you know, we're 
church people. So that's like amazing. And then another person's was uh, empathy, you know, which is just, man, how cool is that to have that as your number one strength, that you're empathetic, that you can feel what somebody else is going through. Somebody else's strength was, uh, you know, positivity. I mean, is that not awesome? They're just a positive person. Somebody else's was, uh, they're a connector and they're able to connect people and connect relationships. Just really cool. And so it's my turn. I'm like, give it to me. I'm ready. What's my strength? Curtis, your number one strength is competition. Like, that's not a strength. That's a weakness. You know, like, so you're saying my greatest strength is a weakness for every, everybody else that doesn't, doesn't make any sense, does it? And so I, I felt terrible about myself and still do, really. That's why I'm sharing it with you today. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not afraid to, to let you know that because I think that I, a lot of us have that strength. It may not come back on a test, but we are very good in Cypress, Texas about competing with one another. In fact, that's really the question that we're asking most often is, can I be better than most? Isn't that what, what we concern ourselves with most often? Can I be better than most? And we do it in our spiritual lives as well. Yeah, you're right. Oh, man, I don't read my Bible as much as I should, but I read it more than most. I don't pray like that I, I should. Um, I'll just be real honest, I don't. But I, I pray more than most. I do only come to church kind of every couple of weeks and whenever like the situation is perfect. But I come more than most. And what happens when we feel that searching light of God start shining on our darkness and we immediately move to start comparing ourselves to someone else's, it just really minimizes our sin. Because that's what sin is. Sin is falling short of the standard, literally, in its most basic definition, falling short of the standard. So our sin does not look like a big deal when our standard is another human being. Because again, for most of us, we're better than most. But if we need to be reminded today that our standard for what is light and what is dark is not another human being on planet earth. It is God and God is light and he is the standard for what is light and what is dark. And now suddenly I'm comparing myself and I'm measuring myself and my darkness compared to that light. Then I feel the weight of my sin and I want to run away from it more. When I'm just comparing the weight of my sin and the darkness of my sin uh, up next to some other person because I'm better than most well I don't feel the need to flee my sin is bad because well, it's just not as bad it's not as dark but God is our standard and being better than most is not good enough and how it affects our fellowship with God you don't have to get very far to see it you just stop right with Adam and Eve you know, the scripture said in, in every middle school boy's favorite verse, they were naked and unashamed. Right? And then they eat that fruit from that tree that God had said to not eat from. And now they were still naked, but they were ashamed. And they take those fig leaves and they sew them together to hide themselves. This is what we do when we have darkness hidden in our lives is we hide ourselves from God. You may be like, well, I'm not hiding myself from God. I'm here at church. There's a way to be at church and still hide. You're like, I'm not hiding from God. I, I read the Bible every day. There's a way to read the Bible every day and still hide from God. 
You're like, I don't, I'm not hiding from God. I pray. Listen, trust me, there is a way to pray and still hide from God. I'm very good at it. God, bless them, bless me, be with them, be with me, help me. And we keep it right there at that most basic level because we are afraid the more we pray, the deeper we pray, we can feel that searching light of God shining on our darkness and it is uncomfortable. But it is affecting your fellowship with God. The second thing I'd love for you to write down is darkness affects our fellowship with others. One of our great partner organizations here at Bayou City is called As Our Own. As Our Own rescues vulnerable children from dangerous situations in India. And we were with them this past Thursday and we're hearing some of their amazing stories uh, because when they rescue these children, they don't raise them as orphans. They raise them literally as their own children. It's the most powerful thing I've ever seen up close. It really is just unbelievable. And so they started telling us a story about one of the girls in their care. Her, her mother was born in Nepal, but smuggled into India as a teenager and put in the slums of Mumbai and forced into prostitution against her will. Well, eventually she becomes pregnant with a little girl that uh, came under uh, Azarone's umbrella. And uh, this little girl, as she got into the care of Azarone, just began to thrive and have opportunities that she never would have had living in the slums of Mumbai. But eventually, she, this little girl became a teenager. And because that mom had been forced into that darkness, and she had been in that darkness for so long, as soon as her daughter became a teenager, she began to try to traffic her own daughter back into the situation that she herself was forced into. Why? Because uh, she was a terrible person and she was worse than most of us know. This is just what happens. Darkness. It affects our relationships with other people. It makes us think things about other people that are not true. It, it makes us uh, say and do things towards other people that we would not normally do. I mean, look at this fellowship that we have together in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. So we have fellowship together. We have fellowship with other people when we are walking in the light. Now we could go on and on and on this morning and take a lot of time listing out the ways that darkness directly affects our relationships with other people. But we're not going to spend our time doing that this morning. Most of us could think of those things on our own. But what I do want to mention to you very quickly is if your fellowship with God is being affected by darkness... Every relationship you have is being affected. If your fellowship with God is out of order, every relationship that you have is out of order. The scripture says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus is the cornerstone. And that means nothing to us because cornerstones are just symbolic for us. They're just a place that we put a plaque uh, now. But in those days, the cornerstone was literally the very first stone that they laid as they would go to build any building. And every wall and everything took its measurement from that stone. Listen, if your uh, measurement, if your alignment is distorted in your fellowship with God. Every relationship that you have, because Jesus is the cornerstone, because he is who you are supposed to be aligned with first, will now be out of order. So men, if you want to be the husband that you want to be and your wife needs you to be, what is of most importance is your fellowship with God. Ladies, if you want to be the mom that you've always dreamed of being, as you look at your kids and you're like, I want to do everything that I can for them. Don't take them to the store to buy things. It's not about driving them to soccer practice. The most important thing that you can do 
is to have your fellowship with God be in order and your relationships with your children can then be in order. You want to be the best friend that you can possibly be. You want to support people as they walk through difficult times. The best thing that you can do of first importance is to make sure that your fellowship with God is in order because if it's not, every measurement in your life will be twisted and distorted. And then the last thing that I want you to write down this morning, darkness affects our fellowship with ourselves. Darkness affects our fellowship with ourselves. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, meaning we're lying to ourselves. Then skip down to verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if we claim that sin is not in us, that there's no, no darkness in us, that we weren't born with that and we didn't pass that on, then we're lying to ourselves. We're out of order. We don't have fellowship with ourselves. And then if we claim that we've never done anything wrong, that we've never done anything ca- called sin, then we make God out to be a liar because he has said we've sinned. He loves you, but he's honest about you. And he's honest about me. Romans 3.23 says, For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we are deceiving ourselves in this way, it says, And his word is not in us. And if you do not have God's word in you, then it's going to be easy for you to lie to you. Sometimes you are the least trustworthy person to you. We're always looking for people who will have our back. Listen, sometimes you don't have your own back. You will tell yourself things that are not really true because darkness, it distorts how we see ourselves. Darkness can distort uh, how we see the situations that we're in. And so it affects our fellowship with ourselves. So what's the answer? Verse 7. But if we walk in the light. The best translation of this is if we keep walking in the light. If we keep walking in the light, it's like saying you're married, so keep being married. About uh, two years to the day after Amanda and I met, we had our wedding. And it was the most beautiful wedding that I'd ever been to, still have ever been to. I can say that without uh, any bias because I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I learned after the first month of being engaged, this is a little tip for you men who are not engaged yet or married, um, that if you are not the bride or you are not paying for the wedding, just keep your mouth shut. Nobody cares about your opinion. So Amanda did an amazing job planning our wedding. It just came together so beautiful. It had some very special moments in it. Um, one of us even cried. I'm not going to tell you who that was. Uh, uh, but uh, it was just a, just a really, really special time. And then we got on a plane and we went to Hawaii. Because, listen, somebody's got to go to Hawaii in Jesus' name and we will do it. We will do it. We will do it. And we went over there. And we just, just had just unbelievable, unimaginable honeymoon and we stayed in as nice a hotel that we could afford and we laid on the beach and we swam and we snorkeled and we rented a red convertible Mustang and then we ate at Taco Bell because we rented a red convertible Mustang. <laughs> we didn't have any money. We ate 
peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for real. We went to the grocery store because that's what we could afford, which is unbelievable time. And then we got home and uh, landed. It was time to go to our apartment. It was our apartment. Neither of us had lived in it yet because she was uh, just graduated from college and was still uh, living with her mom and dad. And I was living in this rundown house that the city of Houston condemned about a year later. And uh, it was just been a sketchy part of town. People would come and congregate out in our front yard in the middle of the night. It was just a very weird place. And so we would go to our apartment where it had all of our stuff in it. Neither one of us had stuff of our own. And so it just had all of our new furniture in it. It was so exciting. But imagine getting off the airplane, getting in our car, going to our apartment. Um, and then uh, I get out of the car and I open the door for her because I'm still being chivalrous because I've been married for only one week, you know. And uh, I open the door for her and I give her a kiss right on the cheek. And I say, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And I get in my car and I drive back to my rundown home in a sketchy part of town. You'd be like, wait a second, wait a second. No, you, you don't do that. That's where you lived when you were single, but now you're married. And so now you live in the place where you're supposed to live because you're married. This is what First John is saying. God is light. And you have fellowship with God. So keep on walking in the light. It doesn't make any sense to say God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. And I have a relationship with him. I'm his son and I, his daughter, and I'm loved by him and I've been chosen by him and I have eternal life in him, but I'm going to keep walking in the darkness. That does not make any sense. Keep on walking in the light. And, And then what else does he say? What other action thing does he say? He says, and confess our sins, verse nine. Confessing means to, to agree with. It means when the Spirit of God begins to shine that light on the dark places in us, we don't immediately dismiss it by comparing ourselves to someone else and saying, well, I'm better than most. We just receive it and we just agree. Confession is agreeing with God that our darkness really is darkness. Like, well, that sounds awful. And I'm going to be honest, it is. It is. But look at all the good news that's sprinkled in here. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Yeah, it's going to be tough to agree with God that the darkness in you really is dark. But then you can be cleansed. If we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, it is tough to agree. That is not good. That's not good in me. I want to turn from that. That is tough to do. But when you do that, forgiveness comes. Cleansing comes. And it doesn't mean that God just says, oh, it's it's not a big deal. Being cleansed, being purified means that stain on us that sin has left, it's completely erased. It's not like you and I taking the resolve uh, to our carpets and it does an okay job, but you can still see the remnant of what was there. It's just not as there as brightly as it was before. No, this is completely clean as if it never happened. This is the good that happens when we agree with God that our darkness really is dark. Now, I'm a little nervous about what we're going to hear today. Um, I started, I started, um, you know, thinking about darkness and light. And so I started thinking, hey, where's my flashlight? 
you know, and then I started looking for my flashlight. And of course, it took 30 minutes because you never know where your flashlight is. And so after about 30 minutes of looking for it, I just said to uh, my five-year-old daughter, Annabeth, who is Sherlock Holmes, I said, hey, can you help Daddy find uh, my flashlight? And she went away for about two minutes, and then she came back with it. Uh, It was beautiful. And then I had a flashlight, but then what was the next problem? It was out of batteries. And so here it is. And of course, it's uh, out of batteries because that's what happens. You find your flashlight, but then there are no batteries and it doesn't work. And then you search for another 30 minutes thinking that you secretly bought AA batteries somewhere, but you aren't really sure that you did. It's, this is why God provided for us by putting flashlights on our cell phones. That's a gift from God <laughs> to help us escape this cycle. I'm a little nervous, though. Here's what I'm a little nervous about today's message. Because I'm a little nervous that we're going to think like a flashlight. When we start thinking and seeing the darkness that's in us, we're going to go, well, what I need is a fresh start with some fresh energy. You're right, God. I agree with you that my darkness is dark. I can see it as clear as day right now. So I'm going to get a fresh start today, and I'm going to work harder with more energy to keep that darkness at bay. And listen, the truth is, is that maybe you do need a fresh start and, and maybe you do need some extra effort. That is real. But that's not what John is saying here. I mean, he wants us to stop sinning. Chapter 2, verse 1, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if, if he were a linear thinking person, maybe he would go step one, step two, step three. He doesn't do that. What does he tell us about? He tells us that if we will walk in the light and if we will agree with God about our darkness, then we will get forgiveness and we will be purified. And he just keeps saying that over and over again, forgiveness and purification. And what that means for us today is you want to fight darkness in your life, then meditate and think about the forgiveness of Christ that has come to you. Forgiveness is not just for after you sin. It is for when you are being tempted to sin. That's how good God's forgiveness is in. Is. This is how strong it is. It doesn't just redeem you after you sin. It prevents you from sinning in the first place. And this is the gospel. Second Timothy says that God dwells in unapproachable light. How are we going to have fellowship with somebody who is unapproachable? But he loved us and he sent his one and only son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And when Jesus came into our darkness, the darkness of this world, he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So today, this is not about us pushing aside our darkness so that we can get to God. This is, God has come to us in Jesus Christ while we were still in our darkness to lead us into the light. You don't have to find God today as he's searching you and he's showing you just like he is me today, some different dark parts of our inner man. We don't have to, gosh, I gotta put those away so I can get to God. He comes right into the middle of it. And the only action for us today is to see our darkness and go, yep, I wish that wasn't true, but it is. And just think about the forgiveness of God before we sin and after we sin. And it will fight for us. Because God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. Therefore, walk in the light. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Spirit of God, for searching us. Even when we don't want to be searched, it's an uncomfortable feeling to know that we have, are exposed before you, but our darkness is not catching you off guard today. You come right into the middle of it, and you lead us into the light, and we say yes to that. So set us free today from secrets that we've got buried in our tents, in our homes, in our minds. Bring us out into the light. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray.